as a kid, I wanted to be a superhero. I wanted to have powers, and I wanted that because I wanted people to admire me for something, I guess. I wanted to be celebrated. When you have full-blown self-expression and there's no barriers holding you back, it's truly powerful. This is Gender Euphoria, a limited podcast series from Broccoli Content. My name is Hannah Walker-Brown, and over the next seven episodes, I'm going to be interviewing people I really admire about when they feel most like themselves, what brings them joy and pleasure, and their individual journeys to self-acceptance. When we only talk about pain, misery, trans people are turned into statistics, and it, it takes the human nature of us away. Being yourself is radical. It's an act of defiance in itself, just allowing yourself to live authentically. In this episode, I'm talking to Ben. So, my name is Ben Peachy. I am a writer, content creator, and soon-to-be author. I use my experience and my unique point of the world in my little corner of the internet to educate and remind people to look for pleasure in life and enjoy themselves because life is already hard enough. We don't need to be hard on ourselves. So I wonder if you could start by telling me a bit about your experience and your unique point of the world. So my experience is growing up in a world that hasn't always been ready for me. Growing up in a world that has gone out of its way to make sure that I don't feel comfortable from 11 to 18, maybe even 20 I faced the backlash of being othered in society every day through being bullied, through, you know, difficult situations. And that has then sort of collected in my psyche and has developed with me as I've gone through my 20s and worked out who I am and what I've got to say about the world. And it's not that I'm grateful for what I've been through, but I'm now in a position to convert that power energy transfer and give it back to the world. Like I've come to terms with that as well as coming to terms with who I am. And that's why I'm able to reach out to people and they find themselves surprised by my content. It's basically just compassionate content that reminds people to just be kinder to themselves. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And that's so apparent in the work you're doing, this idea of compassion, of kindness. I think it definitely feels like looking at the stuff you do and speaking to you, that kind of bleeds through every decision you make. Um, so that's your work, but who are you? Who are you today, right now? Who am I today? Ah, oh, what, a, what a deep question. <laughs> I mean, we might as well go in. I guess I am the truest form I've ever been. I am the most realised form of me. Essentially, I say yes to everything I feel. So my gender identity plays a, a huge role in that because I just sort of thought, 
well, no one can give me more of a hard time than I've already been through. So what's the point of denying everything and just accessing everything for joy and for pleasure? And so I am a combination of all those things. And sometimes it represents itself in a very visual way of, you know, looking like a children's television presenter. Or sometimes it manifests itself in a in a word piece that resonates with thousands of people. It's um it's certainly an evolution and it's a process that's continuing to evolve. It's not anything fixed. So I think if we are asked this question again in a year, it would probably be very different, I guess. I love that idea that, you know, we're always evolving. We're never kind of a finished product. Um, I read this great quote yesterday about how your life purpose is a process and not a category. And that really stuck with me we're not trying to get to this one spot and then you know we've we're ourselves it's kind of constantly shifting constantly kind of adapting and evolving and I think you know I feel very fortunate that we can have a conversation like this where we can sort of reflect and project I suppose the future knowing who we are right now but I wonder what it was like kind of you mentioned you know 11 to 20 being very difficult and teenage years are obviously seminal years in our kind of development of self of who we are of our worldview and I wonder how you navigated all of that to get to where you are now at that time we're talking sort of 10 15 years ago the conversation around lgbtqia community was still very limited to sexuality you know that was what my difference was deemed to be and i think even at that age i had no concept of everything that was going on around me but i took what i was told and that's what i thought that i was trying to hide to erase and i made myself as small as possible as i could in situations you know to to bring no more attention to myself. It felt very much something that I was to blame for. You know, this was a problem that was caused. And I remember having conversations with, you know, teachers or counsellors, and it was sort of like the conversation stemmed from, well, you're like this. How could we help you make that better? The fault was very much put on my side of the conversation. And I think in that, those years that, you know, what is a really big part of everyone's development, I was playing somebody else. You know, I was trying to be the right person in all those situations. And I essentially got lost because when it got to being a young adult, I had not a clue who I was. I had not a clue what I liked, what I didn't like, where I wanted to go, what I wanted to do. And essentially I had to have my teenage years in my 20s and I think that a lot of queer people end up doing that and so for the outside world it can seem like we're very intense we are can have very obsessive behaviors because we fall in love with the things we love and we go for it hard because we never had that opportunity growing up so we really get obsessed with things and I sometimes think that's why the outside world gets confused gets scared because we're outpouring so much emotion, because we've got emotion plus from all the years we never got to be who we wanted to be. So there's a massive difference between who I am now and who 
I thought I was supposed to be when I was younger. And how has that shifted? What is that relationship you have with not just yourself, but yourself and others? It's a very nourishing relationship now. And I think that is why I enjoy doing what I do so much. And it's such a a healthy relationship because for so long I basically played a people pleaser. And it's a universal fact that people pleasers please everyone but themselves and you miss out on that. And I think I've realized that life's too short to be uncomfortable. Life's too short to, you know, give anything to anyone else that you don't feel comfortable doing. And that's that can be hard for other people to swallow because they assume you're being selfish. You know, and as, and as humans, we're supposed to be selfless, altruistic people. But I genuinely believe that you can give back to the world and give to the world whilst also giving to yourself 100%. And it's striking that balance that can be hard for other people, outside people, to understand that. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think we've been conditioned to see selfish as a bad thing but actually you have to fill up your own tank before you can because if you're constantly giving out and giving out there's nothing left because if you're not doing that for yourself then where does that leave you absolutely and I think we've been shown especially this year that everything can go down the toilet so quickly and all we're left with ourselves is ourselves. And if that relationship is not nourished, there is no relationship. And what do you do with yourself then? I think, you know, when things go wrong or, you know, if you're having a bad mental health day, turning inwards to your own relationship with yourself is the best place to start. And I think especially for queer people and gender non-conforming people, we've nourished that relationship because we were lost for so long. And now now we've had that insight into being generous for our own souls and nourishing that. Why would we ever stop doing that? And that's really important. Yeah, absolutely. And when do you feel you're most confident? I feel my most confident when I give in to everything and I fully accept everything I want to do in that moment and for me that's getting dressed that's using makeup and you know presenting myself to the world exactly how I feel on the inside you know there's no uh no consideration for anyone else I am fully pleasing and pleasuring my own sense of self because sometimes we have to dress for situations we have to look formal or you know you have to look practical and I quite like the idea that maybe if I've got to run to the shops and buy some milk I can do that in a jumpsuit and a pair of heels and a big 80s makeup look because that makes me happy and I think that to the outside world that again looks selfish or that looks ridiculous but I've sort of learned that as long as I'm happy, I can pretty much smile and laugh anything off my shoulders. And so I feel unstoppable when I'm my most confident. And I I can do that on days where I feel great, but I can also do that on days where I have doubt. And that's also really helpful to know that I've got that to access, which, you know, I'm really grateful for. 
I think that's so interesting because so often makeup is used to mask or disguise or kind of hide how we're really feeling you know countless women's magazines will tell you you know if you're having a bad day just put on red lipstick and feel like a boss this kind of whole idea of fake it till you make it and what you're saying is kind of the opposite of that is that whatever's going on on the outside is the outward expression of how you're feeling internally of of who you are internally and I love that it flips that whole narrative on its head like you're not hiding this is actually who you are yeah I think sometimes we definitely see that narrative that we're the real us when we take everything off when we're you know stripped and laid bare but the more I add to myself the more I am myself I feel the most comfortable the most like confident if you know if I had to deal with a difficult situation in a full face of makeup and a pair of heels I could handle that with my eyes closed but you know if I was in a situation where I didn't feel completely myself you know I was maybe like wearing tracksuit bottoms and like a dressing gown I don't think I'd have that confidence to lean into so yeah I am really really grateful but like I'm also aware that it's not that easy for everyone else and I it's taken me time to work that out for a while I thought that was ridiculous behavior I thought that you know it was pure silliness and I didn't I shouldn't do that but I've learned that no that's the right thing for me and I think other people should if they aren't at that point of view of where they know what makes them feel their best selves be present in the moment and you know chart you know, bursts of happiness or joy and think what were the elements in that moment that made that better and access those when you want to feel your best or your most confident. And so thinking about this idea of euphoria and, you know, not necessarily the kind of, you know, the big moments, euphoria, I think my mind often goes to kind of, the acid smiley face and like the big clubs and that moment in the crowd where the music is just so on point. I'm doing this, I'm like raising my arms in the air as if like I'm in the moment. But I think actually euphoria is sometimes those kind of quiet revolutions within the body, within the mind, where you actually kind of just notice, oh, I feel really happy. I remember... Uh... I must have been 21 and I bought this most, like, they're so basic when I look back now, but a wide leg pair of black trousers. And at the time that wasn't really available in the, the male side of the market. That's male in inverted commas, if you are listening. Um, and I bought these women's trousers, these wide leg trousers, and I put them on. And I remember like swishing around my uni room, my tiny uni room. And I thought, oh my goodness, this, this is so exciting. And I wore them the next day and all people said was how nice they were. No one sort of got a pitchfork out and pointed a finger and went, you can't wear those trousers. They're not for you. And I remember just feeling so powerful all that day because I'd made a decision purely based on pleasure. And from that point, I just continued every time I had a question in my head that said, could I wear that? Could I do that? Could I look like that? I just went, yes, try it see how it feels and from that moment on that's kind of like a, a way I've continued to live my life and it's so silly and I still have those trousers and I don't think I'll ever get rid of them because they're so special to me for 
how they made me feel. And sometimes all we need to do is give ourselves permission. I think that's so nice. And I think it's doing what you feel because you always know in your gut if something is wrong. Like our bodies are intelligent. If something isn't right, like it will alert us to that. And I think on the opposite of that, when when something is so right, it's almost like we settle into ourselves. There's, you know, you feel light on your feet and actually giving into the good stuff, not restricting it, I think is so important. Absolutely. And, you know, that does take confidence to actually, you know, choose yourself and silence that inner critic. And I guess it's, you know, on the one hand, giving yourself permission, but I think trust is so important. Trust that you know you better than anyone else. And that inner saboteur is so dangerous because we've been told to think that that's our voice. And you're so right. The inner saboteur, that tiny voice in your ear is literally just internalized everyone else's opinions that you've listened to for years. And suddenly it's presented to you in a moment of doubt as gospel. And, you know, we can't stop that happening. But in those moments, you just have to brush it off and say, right, I hear what you're saying, but babes, I'm going to do something different. And I'm doing that for me. And the more you do those things, you give in to what you want, the less power that voice has over you. And so coming to this idea of joy in the trans community and this idea of gender euphoria, because the reason that we're doing these podcasts, the reason that I'm talking to you is because we had a conversation months ago and I remember you saying then that the transgender community is in a constant state of distress and you're only seen as valid when you're performing as activists but you're people first and so I wanted to come back to this idea of euphoria, this idea of finding pleasure or excitement or joy in your identity and that richness of human experience And I suppose what I'm asking is how you consolidate both parts. You're right. There is a duality, especially that is very heightened in the trans community, that of the harsh reality of being part of the trans community in 2020 and how just difficult that is. But also the fact that we are living our full truths. We are accessing exactly who we want to be and... How does that exist side by side? And I, the pain should and has a place because how else do we let wider society know how difficult it is to be us? Pain is an endeavour to cause change. But I think that the joy and the beautiful nature of being exactly who you want to be and claiming that space should be tempered into that conversation because when we only talk about pain, misery, trans people are turned into statistics and it it takes the human nature of us away. We're seen as numbers, we're seen as a problem, we're seen as an issue, we're not seen as the human beings that we are. And I think that's why we aren't any further forwards, because the government, wider society, mainstream media outlets have dehumanised us so much that if we were to talk about the joy, I don't know if they would be able to connect that to the people that are saying they have that joy, they have those emotions and feelings. And also, 
sometimes they'll I almost get the 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 feeling that I'll talk about the negative side and then if I was to say it's also wonderful to me they turn around and go well you're not telling the truth one of those parts of your story doesn't add up because how can someone have so much pain and suffering but also enjoy being themselves fully as well that doesn't add up we want the facts we want the receipts and it's just like how much effort have I got to expend to say, yes, I'm marginalised, yes, sometimes being alive is really, really scary, but also I wouldn't trade this for the world. And it's that nuanced conversation that boils down to the fact that people just don't have enough time or attention span to care about a nuanced conversation, so they just want black and white issues, so they just go with the pain. And I think that's possibly why the joy is often missed out. I think there's something human in us that, you know, joy is not relatable because those, if someone's found joy, how do we find joy? Oh, we can't, we're in a different situation. Oh, I can't, I can't, I can't. But when we see other people's pain, I think as humans, we read it and go, well, at least I haven't been through that few. Isn't that a relief? And I think it's really, really strange about how we capitalize on feelings and emotions and the delicate nature of being human and it, we need to shift that. And actually being your authentic self is a radical act and acknowledging all those parts and I suppose it, it defies the rules set out by society that profits on insecurity and this idea that we can always be better or smaller or stronger or faster or more beautiful or quieter and you know it wants us to conform to stay in the boxes that it's created and if you don't then you are punished yeah it's um I always remember something that my mum said to me about six years ago after a really difficult experience in a Marks and Spencer of all places uh, a, cust- a customer was made to feel really uncomfortable about my presence in uh, the female side of the shop and made really loud comments and uh basically my mum got really upset and was really, really defensive and really, really lovely and outpouring of love. And after that interaction, she said, well, maybe it would be easier for you if, you know, you changed because the world's not ready for you. So I I think it would be easier if you made it, you know, made yourself quieter, made yourself less visible. And I've always thought about that, that the problem is mine. The problem isn't mine because it's everyone else. And I think the trans community are dealing with other people's emotions. And that's been branded as our issues. But what the problem is, is it's not our fault. And we can't do anything about it. Yet we're supposed to change. We're supposed to mitigate for it. And it leaves such a difficult conversation that people aren't interested so it's easier to treat us as a statistic because if you don't understand something how do you then offer compassion how do you offer a solution you can't so it's easier to go well you're a number or almost like well you did choose this life so I'm guessing you've just got to deal with that consequence and I that is so so unhuman that it can be so soul destroying and when you know someone that supposed to love you says maybe you should change how are how are you supposed to deal with that sorry that makes me quite sad but and at that age I thought to myself yeah obviously I'm the problem here and I think that's what the media is saying we're the problem and so focusing on joy is so surprising and abrupt because it says 
we're not problems, we're people with emotions and feelings. We'd like to be listened to and treated to in the same way as someone that can have sex for 12 hours on this morning gets from Holly and Phil, you know? And I think that goes back to the core problem with joy and with pain is that we are constantly managing other people's emotions. And so just to finish, I want to kind of bring it back to gender euphoria and just what those words mean to you, like what they evoke in your mind. To me, gender euphoria, I, I love as a phrase because uh, my point of view, we hear about dysphoria a lot and for parts of the trans community, medical professionals will only deem their identity valid if they can display dysphoria they never take into context what it would mean for that person to be the person they've said they want to be if they were just allowed to and that concept is gender euphoria and why it's so special to me is because we don't have to ask anyone permission gender euphoria is ours to own and it's so unique and wonderful to us because it means what it means to us and for me gender euphoria was the idea that I said yes to everything and there were no boundaries or parameters to my own sense of self and I think why it can be challenging for other people is because we are fully claiming everything that we do with our lives brings us that joy that accessing the true gender identity brings us pleasure it helps us make decisions it informs our take on the world and for others they might not have experienced that but they've always been told that there was no missing link but we fought for that missing link and it's changed our lives and I think that can be confusing but anyone can achieve gender euphoria anyone can search for gender euphoria and it can mean anything it could be you know someone with size 13 feet the first time they put on a pair of heels and everything falls into place. It it could be the first time someone gets their binder and that feels magical. Or for someone that's cisgendered and they just blur those gender rules, again, in inverted commas, and it makes them feel powerful. It's anything to do with your identity that gives you power, that makes you feel like what you're saying about yourself is impacting you positively. It's really powerful. And again, it's not something the world wants us to have. We're supposed to be under the thumb of government. We're supposed to be servants to the world. But, you know, gender euphoria is, again, something that's quite selfish, but it's really necessary. And I think as a concept is something that we should be thinking about more often. If I do that, will it bring me a sense of gender euphoria? And that's magical. <laughs> 